Hello everyone, I am Mr. Frisco and this is my real estate show. What's today on my show? We're going to talk about Frisco housing market, some insights. Uh, my guest will be Kevin Jefferson with fmtrade.com, a currency trader and educator. And we're going to wrap up the show with uh, so what's new going on on Frisco business and social life. Meet Mr. Frisco, a realtor selling residential real estate in Frisco and far north Dallas. As a former professional athlete, track and field, and strength and conditioning coach, Mr. Frisco immigrated to the USA 20 years ago with $50 in his pocket, a suitcase, and zero English to pursue the American dream and build a successful real estate business. Hardworking, persistent, customer service, and detail-oriented, Mr. Frisco strives to secure a smooth closing on his client's biggest investment, their home. He puts his experience and knowledge to serve his clients the best way possible. Building his business by referral allows him to maintain relationships with his clients and serve them even after the transaction is closed. This is Frisco Realty News with Mr. Frisco. So let's see what's happening on Frisco real estate market in September. Median Frisco existing home price for the past 12 months has increased 70.8% reaching $635,000 and the median price for September increased slightly as well with 0.7% compared with August. So the housing market in Frisco for September has flattened. The inventory on the market increased 109.4% since the same time of the last year uh, with 404 houses uh, for sale on the market. The inventory on the market decreased 19.4% in September compared with August, and the inventory uh, in Frisco is still very low. Uh, well, let's uh, let's uh, say that the, the inventory in Frisco is still low. It's uh, almost um, half of what we had in 2019. The median exp uh, existing home sale for the past 12 months uh, is down 37.5%, reaching. 167 sold homes and the home sales for September decreased 21.2% compared with August. So the market, act, um, the market activity in Frisco has been going down for the last four months. The median days on the market for the past 12 months is up reaching 27 days and the homes for sale in September stay 14 days more compared to August. Um, let's just remind you that uh, during the peak of the market, the days on the market were only four days. Month supply of inventory on the market is still very low, 2.1 months, which is still very strong seller's market. Uh, again, I probably gonna repeat myself from the last show, but we consider balanced market for six months supply of inventory uh, on the market. So the, um, the, the inventory is still very short. Now let me introduce you to my guest, Kevin Jefferson, owner and CEO of fmtrading.com. Hey, Kevin, how hey. are you? Good I'm, to have you here, man. I am well, I am well, That's, I'm well. Thank you for having me. Great. Okay, so... Um, <clears throat> You do currency trading, okay? For a lot of people, that's that means almost anything, all right? <laughs> you have to explain. But uh, before we start with that, um, 
Who is Kevin? Okay. Great question. So um, I am Kevin L. Jefferson, cash flow creator, father of the Forex fam, and followmytrades.com, professionally speaking. But I am also a loving husband and father of two children, and preceding that, just a, a public school product from Dallas, Texas. Grew up in Oak Cliff, Texas. Um, nothing special about my life. You know, middle class family, I guess the maybe not even quite the Huxables. I don't think we made that much money, but, um, you know, I was just a regular dude who um, I found myself, you know, along the course of my life, finding that I felt like I was a little more mature than my age, you know, coming along life. Matter of fact, I joke that um, I feel like as I've gotten older, I call myself um, the the maturity Benjamin Button. I feel like I've gotten less mature <laughs> over time than I was when I was a kid. But um, just, you know, a, a real intellectually curious person, um, a person who's always wanted to kind of learn the why about things. And I think that informed my journey, um, even up to and through college, you know, uh, graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point, was an Army officer, um, field artillery, rapid deployment units, you know, all that stuff. Um, but um, really just a person who always wanted to learn more and, and really, you know, kind of see the why behind life, you know. And so I think that's kind of informed if I look at my journey and the things that have had a, that have benefited me the most, it's primarily, I think, because I asked why, you know, and that's that's what's kind of served me the most. All right. So you're a veteran. Thank you for your service. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Glad to serve. And why why currency trading? Why not, for example, financial advisor? You have a you have a background for that. Why currency trading? What got you there? Excellent question. So um, actually, I was a financial advisor. Uh, when I got out of the military, I went, you know, to work for a couple of Fortune 50 companies. And uh, when I got into finance, um, I actually got into finance <clears throat> or was being invited to join the financial world two months after September 11, 2001. So, um, I, you know, when I was in the military, I, I knew that that wasn't going to be my long term goal or dream. You know, that wasn't what I felt like I was built for, <laughs> honestly. It wasn't by the right time. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, my time <laughs> wasn't right. You know, so I, I, I was in Kuwait in 1998, you know, spending time over there playing in the, in the dirt and the sand. And I uh, loved my soldiers. Um, I loved, you know, that was the best part of probably being in the Army was leading soldiers and kind of really being able to affect people's lives. Um, but, I mean, honestly, if I, you know, I was studying for the LSAT while I was in the middle of the desert in Kuwait because I, when my, we had downtime, most people would take naps and do all this stuff. And I found myself, I remember feeling frustrated, you know, like literally like, okay, what am I going to do? If I stay in the Army, what am I going to do? I need to go jag or do something more corporate, you know, or I, you know, like I did not want to be in the field that was not like what I felt, you know, was my, my calling. And so, um, I was just trying to find a way, you know, honestly, to kind of get out of the rat race of, you know, what was called the military, um, as great as it was, the experience was. Um, and so I remember going back to college, you know, reading magazines about finance, investing and all that stuff. And so I was just trying to find a way as a, a dude who, Went to the military academy, minored in information systems, knowing that IT was going to be kind of the future, but knowing that I wasn't smart enough to really kind of go down that road in my mind, um, I was like, what do I like? You know, so I was I became an English major. So I was literature and philosophy at West Point. We called ourselves the Dead Poets Society because there's very few of us, you know, <laughs> but um, and I just wanted to find something that I could honestly serve people and make a ton of money, you know. And so um, <clears throat> when I got out of the military, working for Georgia Pacific um, for a few years, um, I started studying um, because the internet, as I tell people all the time, the internet was very much at its infancy at that point in time. And so um, I would be at Barnes and Noble on Sundays and weekends, you know, when I was off work. 
and literally studying books on how to become a financial advisor, um, like ADV forms and all that stuff, you know, that, that people, you know, fee-based planners and all that stuff, and, uh, and just really dug into it. And then in November of 2001, I think as, as a result, in my personal opinion, as a result of actually aligning my beliefs and my desires with my actions, um, I received a call from, from a recruiter from Merrill Lynch um, in November of 2001. And so given that kind of that, that scenario, if, if you think about it, most people will be, you know, probably like, why would you ever agree to become a financial advisor two months after September 11, 2001? Like, you know, because like, how, <laughs> you know, I mean, how can you look any further past that? Right. I mean, the world was ending. Everything we were about to end the world. Yeah. yeah, man. I mean, the world's over. Right. I mean, 2000 passed, you know, and then we had 2001. Money, What's yeah, going on? Who right? needs money? We need to survive, man. We need water and shelter and food and all that stuff. You know, the world is has ended at least three times since then, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so. With all that being said, um, when that call came, I remember, I remember the feeling very clearly. I remember feeling like, "Wow, this is my chance!" Like, I, and I think that for me, um, it really resonated and it kind of reinforced the thought, you know, or what people want to believe. If you really believe in what you want to do, and you really are clear about what you want. Like there's no circumstance that can deter you, and so I saw it as an opportunity. Um, Merrill Lynch, you know, eventually hired me, and I became a financial advisor. So in February of 2002, I was in the stock business, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to pitch people on finance and all that stuff. So I did go down that path, um, and I learned a lot because of the timing in which I got into to the business. So my first year in production, I did millions of dollars of mortgage refinance business. Coincidentally. Um, to your to your profession, I did you know refis, and I was doing LIBOR based six month interest only loans to wealthy people. And so I, I realized that in the midst of every challenge, there's always an opportunity, and you have to find a way to create value for people, no matter what's going on. And so I did start my actually my financial career off as a financial advisor, and then I evolved into currency from there. Great. Okay. Why did you move to the currency business, and what made you move to the currency business? Yeah, well, I, <laughs> there's a lot to that answer, <laughs> a whole lot, <laughs> a whole lot to that answer. Um, I honestly, um, I found myself evolving. So through personal issues, I, you know, I, I was going through a divorce, and you know, all that crazy stuff was happening in life, and um, I was building out my business um, in Alabama. Um, had opened a new office, you know, had a brand new house that I built, and you know, and then. Went, you know, found myself in the midst of, you know, what I was going through in my personal life. And so now I have a new apartment. And I all I remember was my monthly nut was like five figures a month just to like stay alive, you know. And so like it cost me all this just to kind of keep my head above the water. And I remember um, as stressful as it was, but I was really at, at a place of peace too, you know. And so um, as I went through that, that kind of that journey, something hit me and struck me, um, you know, it was like an aha moment. I was like, why are you, why are you staying here? Like when your home is Dallas, like you, there's nothing holding you here. You've got clients, but you can service them. You can fly back and do all that stuff. So why, why not go back to kind of really your, the nest and like really recuperate and kind of regenerate and kind of get the, I think the, the, the perceived safety of your tribe, you know what I mean? And so I moved back um, in 2009 to Dallas and um, I found currency trading in between there. I, I used to compete in a, uh, program that CNBC had called the Portfolio Challenge. And so every year they give you a notional portfolio, which means fake, demo, whatever you want to call it. So they give you a million dollars to buy any investments out there. And in 2008, I think it was, 2008, 2009, um, they actually had the ability for you to buy currency. You know? And so I remember back in, back in that time, 
the euro was like literally the opposite of what it is now. <laughs> like the euro was twice as valuable as the dollar. And so I bought like a whole bunch of euro and some other like indexes and all this kind of stuff that I, you know, I was used to. And uh, when I checked the portfolio to see how I was doing in the challenge, um, I found myself like my, my portfolio had, had grown like exponentially. And so I'm like, wow, I mean, I knew I was a genius, but I mean, how smart are you, KJ? <laughs> <laughs> and so I went and looked at the different assets that I that I chose, and the currency um, asset was the one that had, that had exploded and had grown exponentially. And so what it did was kind of fulfill the premise of, I think, the people who were obviously sponsoring that portion of the concept was to get you in, you know, get you intellectually and emotionally curious about foreign currency trading and it did that so um that started my journey and you know it wasn't an easy or you know a, kind of a straight line journey but i think it was really the new the coincidence of me participating in this program piqued my interest and then i kind of went down that path okay yeah because uh, not many people exchange currency in their life okay i mean mostly people that even haven't heard about this that's true or uh, you know, most of the people, they exchange currency where they have to travel abroad or something. And But uh, how that it works in trading is uh, probably um, interesting, how it works. Right. Um, what exactly is uh, your business structure, how it, how it works, and what do you offer? Uh, do we focus small businesses, individuals? Sure. Who who is uh, who are your main investors? Great question. So um, I will say first to kind of back up and, and share with people about what currency trading is, you know, and then what it is not. And so in in the world, when I when I started learning about how to become a professional or whatever, or even a profitable trader, um, there was the frustration of actually too little resources, and so there were not really many people who were. Um, what I consider successful currency traders, or there were not a lot of people who were offering the the advice to teach you how to become a trader. And as a as a financial advisor, when I was a stockbroker with Merrill, and when I went independent, you know, on my own in 2005 and started my own um, advisory practice, um, it's easy to learn how to sell people on ideas and concepts called investments, you know. But it's very difficult to have an actual skill or a trade. Um, coincidentally, no pun intended, have a trade that you could actually create income from that that was did not need new clients, you know, and so that was really the big draw for me. And so I, I tried to simplify the journey because I serve individuals and business owners, and I'll get back to that in a moment. Um, but the big draw for me was that it was a way to create income for myself, no matter what was going on in the world. And so um, I had to find a way as I started a business, which I've been in business in this particular business as a as an entrepreneur, um, a little over seven years now. And I had to find a way to get people to understand the concept. And so what I would do is get people to do exactly what you said. Most people have not traded currency, or at least to their knowledge, have not traded currency. But if you've taken a trip, you have actually made a currency exchange trade. I'm, I'm like certain of it. Because let's just use, you know, us being in the U.S. and our nearest country is, is Mexico, at least in the southern U.S. And so if you take a trip to Mexico, let's say you're going to Cancun, uh, in most cases, you're going to exchange a portion of your money for pesos before you get to Cancun. Why is that? The reason you do that is the, the simple law of supply and demand. So the law of supply and demand says that the demand for pesos in the U.S. is much less than the demand for pesos in, in, in Mexico. And so you make that trade on this side of the border because the cost of doing business go, is, is lower than when you get over there. And then when you return, 
you do the same thing, you know, or, or before you come back, if you want to, you can exchange it over there. And it's, it's called a round turn. And so actually I wait till I get back because now, because <laughs> dollars are in demand. So you actually get a better exchange rate, but um, that round turn, your money is basically taking one full currency trade. You sold dollars, you bought pesos. And then at some point when you got back, you sold pesos and you bought dollars. And so all I do with that as a business um, is I do that on a computer every day. So so when I take a trade, my money is basically taken in an electronic vacation um, to the country whose currency I bought, you know, notionally, and then it comes back to the U.S. when I close out the trade. And so um, for me, that was really interesting because I I knew about the stock market. I started learning how to be a stock trader, and I realized there were a lot of differences between being a currency trader and a stock trader. Um, a stock trader, you know, in my estimation, if you have a dollar in the stock market, that dollar has to go up by 100% to become $2, right? Would you agree with that, right? Yeah. Uh, I think we all agree that it takes 100% return on a dollar yeah. to become $2. Uh, in the currency market, um, due to a concept called leverage, um, that same dollar gets treated, let's say, like $100. And so now, and that's called buying power or leverage. And so with that same dollar, you get a, you get the same effect as if you had $100 in the market and so now all you need is for that dollar to go up or that notion of $100 to go up by 1% to create the same $1. And so the energy and, and the amount of, of resources that it takes for you to create the same type of return on your money is much, much lower in the currency market than in, in, the, in the stock market due to a, a concept called leverage. And so what a lot of people will ask after that is, OK, what is leverage and why do, you use, why do they use leverage in the currency market and not use it in the stock market? Um, and so the reason is um, a dollar or any currency that you can think of of a, of a global or a major country, um, there it's not going to fluctuate that much on a daily basis, right? So if we had, you know, if the dollar was fluctuating by five, six, seven percent a day, we'd be scared. You think we're scared now? Like we'd be scared straight. Like we like we wouldn't <laughs> do anything, you know, because the price of milk and the price of bread, all that stuff changes on a daily basis. It's kind of like gas, right? I mean, you're, you're looking at gas prices because you want to fill up your tank on the day that gas goes down by 10 cents, you know, which is maybe a 3% move in the, in, the, in the gas market. And so that's why you make those moves. So imagine doing that with bread, milk, like, you know, Pop-Tarts, you know, like everything that you have, you have to see what the value of the dollar is on a daily basis. That would be completely, you know, it would be treacherous. And so because the value of a currency does not move very much in a day, we're trading really like literally pennies on pennies, like one one thousandth of a percent of a penny in movement is what you're trading. And so for it to make sense for the large institutions and the people who provide a market, which we call market makers, the people with the real money, the reason that they go into it, the only reason it's valuable for them is that they have leverage so that those pennies can actually have the same effect as dollars and tens and hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars. And so with leverage, you get the same results with less effort um, than you can in the stock market. And that's why I trade the currency market versus the stock market. It sounds like a more efficient way. Yeah, much more efficient, right? Much more efficient wealth creation, in my opinion. And this is from a guy who was in the stock business. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think George Soros made his money out of, you know, grocery training. I believe he did. And yeah. hedge fund. <laughs> <laughs> you, need, you need a vehicle that allows you to uh, to have some freedom and well, some wings. Well, you're, on the, you're on the way, man. But hey, man. Right? Hey, <laughs> currency trading, it gives you wings. We're going to go. That's, that's and do cool. That's Thank cool. You. Thank you so All much. All right. Um, so you gave us pretty much good impression about the inside of currency trading, uh, but uh, and you just 
uh, mention about um, currency versus a stock market, right. but stock market is going down now. Okay, right. it's very volatile. Correct. How how is it now on the current on the, on the uh, currency market? Okay, so that's an, that's an excellent question, and, and I think that um, that's where a lot of people get hung up. So with my company, and you asked who I served as well, so I, I kind of start with that, and then I'll come back around to why, like comparatively, you know, how you can still make money in in a, in a time like this, right? And so um, I serve primarily owners and entrepreneurs, business owners, um, entrepreneurs, people who have their own enterprise. And generally, they're, they're kind of demographic, if I wanted to get like more specific. There are owners and entrepreneurs who are cash flowing $200,000 or more a year. And the reason that's important is they've accomplished a level of success as an owner or an entrepreneur that allows them to start thinking higher on what I call the financial, financial hierarchy of needs. And so if you think about the financial hierarchy of needs, you think about first basic needs first, right? I mean, your home, your shelter, insurance, like cost of living, food, all that stuff. And at some point, you start building up assets to where you go into, you know, life insurance. And then you go into, you know, investing. And then you start getting philanthropic and legacy oriented. And so most people in the 200,000 plus cash flow range as business owners, they've kind of they've kind of leaped the first they've leapt the first hurdle of getting like being profitable and having a sustainable business. So once you get to that point, now the thing, the question becomes, and I just was re- literally reading an article about that this morning, um, it becomes, okay, how do I scale my business, you know, effectively and efficiently? And so uh, there was a, I was, somebody was asking a question in a blog and they were saying, well, my business grew and I had to acquire more space and it went from 1,500 to 2,500 square feet, but I'm not sure if I can actually invest the amount of money to actually maximize the new space that I have as a business owner. And that's the challenge that most business owners have is cash flow. And so what I decided to do is use the skill set that I have is to help them deal with like three of the biggest problems that they have, which is cash flow, employees, and overhead. And so if you have a business that may have grown and be successful, you're always wondering as an owner, okay, how can I get more success? How can I diversify maybe my income outside of what I'm doing so that I'm not fully a slave to my business, which I saw a lot of that as an advisor, which is kind of why I have, I think, a heart for owners and entrepreneurs. A lot of people were very closely tied to their businesses and did not have a means to actually separate themselves or decouple themselves when when the markets were bad. And so essentially, for them to retire, they'd have to either die or they have to sell it. You know, and neither of those things we really control. <laughs> you don't control when you're going to die, per se. You know, um, you can, I guess, but you don't have, you normally don't. And you normally don't control when you sell your business. So a business owner goes out and they have this grandiose concept about, yeah, all I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to, I don't have to save for retirement. I'm going to pour all my money back into my business because it's it's an ego concept. You know, most business owners are very egotistical and I respect that because, hey, I'm going to make it on my own. And so you pour all your energy and resources into this business and you hope that nothing goes wrong. And so most business owners, when it's time to cash out, we could be in a market like this. And so you may not get the same value for your business that you thought you were going to get. Or we may be in a market that you may be in a, a downward trending market. So if you own a golf course, you know, how many people are buying golf courses when you have, you know, a, a, a declining demographic that's actually golfing on a golf course? And, and even though Top Golf, they're not really there to, rep, to rep, you replace it. It's an alternative. And so if I can go and have drinks and eat food and I can go like take a swing every once in a while, you know, on, on at Top Golf and then go home in, in two hours, why would I get up at seven o'clock in the morning to go golfing for four hours? Right. And so the, the, as a golf course owner now, I'm kind of stuck because people aren't as interested in buying my business. And so when you build a system, which I do called cash flow creation, where you can actually augment um, a business owner's cash flow 
by decoupling it from their business and doing it in what I call a risk responsible way, which is the currency market in my, my expertise, um, it allows them to have essentially a second business um, that's, that's building cash flow for them. And what that does is it actually puts them in position to not have to hire more employees or create more overhead or be subject to supply chain issues. And they can still create the same income or, or better than they do in their own business. And so that's why I think, you know, it's a kind of a perfect marriage because I'm doing I'm, I'm creating cash on cash returns when they're building. They're using their expertise to build returns in their business. And so um, that's why I generally serve those guys and it kind of works out and makes sense for them. All right. Yeah. OK. I don't know if you can say that it's a new currency, but uh, Bitcoin. Yeah. A lot of people are going after Bitcoin. You know, it's a lot of drama there, a lot of conspiracies. Yeah. You know, a lot of people um, lost money. And some people made a lot of money. Um, do you trade Bitcoin? Do you trade uh, crypto? That's a great question. Um, personally, I have traded Bitcoin. I've traded crypto, and I've made money off of it. And uh, not oh, okay. Shameless plug. I, I call I call it the short. Um, short means you're selling um, versus buying. I call it the short off of the seventy thousand mark, and I, I actually put a video out telling people that it was about to go down. And I gave price points along the way, and it hit them all. And I honestly think that Bitcoin is going to get down to about ten thousand six sixteen and some change here in the near future. So. Uh, the, the, today, I think the market is up, like the whole market is up, and it generally kind of all goes together like a rising tide with all boats, right? Um, but I think that Bitcoin, Ethereum, all those crypto are going to see a significant fall uh, in the coming weeks. And so I, I think it's going to be down to at least 10,000 Ethereum, down to less than $650 a coin. And so I traded, uh, I've traded it, but I actually, in the, in the interest of simplifying my, simplifying my own life, I only trade one currency pair at a time, and I only really trade one currency pair. Really? Yeah. And I, well, I trade, why, why, why is that? Because it, it's the best way I can put it is um, it's anal analogous to having like relationships, right? So if you if you are dating, you know, multiple women, that's fine. You know, that that's all well and good, and you can get to know them all a little bit. You know, and it, and it takes time because it takes energy, time, resources, money, you know, you've got to like wine and dine them. You got to spend time with them. You got to listen to them. You got to learn their characteristics. And it's the same thing in the currency market. When you have a currency pair, so I trade the British pound uh, versus the Japanese yen exclusively. And it simplifies my life because I know the characteristics of that currency pair. And so it's like going from dating to getting into a committed relationship with someone to where, yeah, it's cool to have had like the variety of the different currency pairs, Bitcoin. I can trade the Dow Jones, S&P. I, I, you know, I shorted Tesla back in April, you know, from 1,000 down to 600, you know, so I can, I can do that if I want to. But it's much easier to kind of date one pair, learn the, the nuances of it, and so that when it does a certain thing, you kind of know what it's going to do next. And so it actually increases your chances of being successful, but it also simplifies my life, which I'm all about simplicity. So that's, you know, that's one thing I committed to with my students because um, I teach people to trade, too. I don't just trade for people. Um, I have a lot of students who trade for themselves. And so I told them, hey, I'm, I'm going down to one pair and I can say with a certainty that their profitability because I send my trades out to my students. So when I take a trade, we have a little private chat group. I send it out to them with the, all the parameters so they know where, where, where to get out, where to get in and where to where to stay. And uh, back in September, I was in Vegas, so I got out about at about 15%, a little over 15% return, and my students made at least 40% on this one trade on, on the British pound and Japanese yen. Um, on, and so I, I say that to emphasize the point that it doesn't take a lot to make a lot of money. 
It just takes a little bit really narrowly focused, almost kind of like a magnifying glass with the sun. The more you focus your energy on the one pair, the higher your probability of being successful is. So okay. I can, but I don't. So what do you, what are you training now? Um, I actually just took a short on the British Pound Japanese Yen about an hour ago. So That's um, because of the new King Corps. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, so it's funny, actually. So, um, I, you know, people have always asked me about the news and technical. So you've got like technical trading and then you've got what they call fundamental, you know, analysis or whatever, right? Fundamental is just a story behind what happened. And so I always tell people, like, if you go back and look, <laughs> go to my YouTube channel, look at my videos, I put out information on stuff that's about to happen before it happens, and then I'm always amused to hear the story that gets told to justify what happened. And so that's called fundamental analysis in my mind, you know? <laughs> it's like, and so um, I, I took the short days before, you know, it fell, and I remember um, the new, I think, was it the prime minister or someone with the finance, uh, you know? Yeah, the, the, the new prime yeah, minister. Right. And so they announced that they were going to do this big corporate tax cut for businesses. For, for the businesses. Exactly. Yes. And that's what took our trade all the way down to our take profit. And then it, it, it reversed and went the opposite direction. So, like, the market was already structurally, from a supply and demand standpoint, already ready to make that move. But then it, it was almost like it needed the tipping point of a story to justify the move. And so that's why I always look at technical trading because the numbers don't lie. Supply and demand does not, the mathematics of the market, all it is is, I call it the simple, simplest term, any market is a mathematical representation. Supply and demand, that's all. Of the psychology of the people involved though. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because my perception of, of demand and supply in, in it relates to value can be different than yours. And so it's a mathematical representation of everybody's psychology in the market. And that actually creates a true supply and demand. Yeah. And that's yeah. where you can make the money. Yeah, so wow, that's, that's, that's cool. Yeah, that's, that's why you cool. want to simplify it. Too. Well, but still, the British pound is still record low. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like that's, I, I think that's the really po it, the point. It's a little bit of move. Yeah, it makes money. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So you know, I mean, so we trade pips as opposed to points or whatever they call it in the market. And so um, to your to your 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 question earlier about the market being down. So the fund that I run, um, I won't call it a fund because that sounds more that sounds more hedge fundish. But um, I, the program that I run, the cash flow creation program for business owners and entrepreneurs, we launched it in August of 2021. Um, and at our anniversary date, we had achieved 21.5% returns positive in the same course of time that the market was down 40%. And the reason I want to emphasize that is we are very selective, active traders. And so what that means is most of the time, We're not in the market, you know, and I think that's one of the big challenges that a lot of people have in the stock market is that they get sold the information or the, the, the adage of stay in the market, get in, buy and hold, long-term investing. What's long-term? Like long-term can meet, for me could be a year, you know, but they sell you on a 30-year plan <laughs> and they want you to stay in because that's what makes the stockbroker's money. I was, a, I was a stockbroker. I remember like there were very few people as financial advisors that would allow their clients to take money <laughs> until, they, <laughs> until they retire. You know? They were like, no, you can't take anything out. I don't care what you want to do with your life. It's your money. I know it's your money, but you need to keep it in there. And so they, like, they, they sell you into staying in and going through all of the emotional undulations of being in a market when if they really knew what they were doing, they could have told you, hey, it's time to go to cash. You could watch the market deteriorate, which is about to do again in about a week or so. I think in the next two weeks, I think we're going to see some major, major drops in the stock market. Um, major drops in the stock market, the Dow, S&P, And NASDAQ. the Bitcoin. Yeah, oh, Bitcoin for sure. I, well, I told you, 10,000, I, okay. I got 10,600 and some change as, as my radar. So, I mean, it's uh, going to get down uh, to right. less than half of what it is now. 
Uh, now I'm I could gonna, be wrong. I could be wrong. Now uh, anybody now I can could have be it, wrong. If but I'm, it's interesting to see. Well, absolutely. Oh, yeah, but, well, if, yeah, if yeah, I'm yeah. wrong, that means a whole lot of other people made money. You know? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are only happy. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So you know, but some people who take my advice, may, they may be happy too. Right. It's how it is. Yes. So, so the reason you can be successful and profitable in a down downward trending market is specifically by knowing when to be in and when not to be in. And, and that's one of the challenges that most people don't have the time or the ability to do, which is fine, which is why we do what we do, you know, with my company. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to watch the market the next, <laughs> the next couple of weeks. Go pay attention, go. Hey, man, I was call, I've been calling friends of mine, business owners who have, you know, portfolios, and I say, hey, bruh, call your advisor, see what they think, because it's, it's your you and your advisor. I'm not, you know, you're not paying me to tell you this stuff, but- I see the market dropping significantly in the next several weeks, and so, right. so yeah, we, well, yeah, so we'll okay, see. Okay, we're going to keep an eye on that. I'm with. Hey, I'm I, I, keep an eye you know what, what I call what I call today because I'm, I'm big on like on like nomenclature. I said we're watching the the rise going before the fall. So the market is up right now. That's the rise before the fall. It's almost kind of like what people who are in the, into the Bible they call the pride goes before the fall. So you know, a proud nature generally is your stumbling block. The rise of the market will be the stumbling block of the people in the market okay. in the coming weeks. All right. Uh, well, uh, let me uh, let me make sure I understand. We are going to see decline on the Bitcoin, and we're going to see a decline in the trade market, in the stock market. Correct. And one kind of safe place is going to be the currency trading. Yeah, okay. going to be kind of safer there. Uh, okay, I'm going to pause you there. I agree with. 90% of what you said, I won't say that the currency market is safer because it's like saying that just because you can drive a car that is safe, you know, or that a plane is safer than a car. Yeah. If you don't know how to fly an airplane, oh, it's yeah. not safer than a car. <laughs> so you got to know how to fly the plane. There's no so, safe cabin. Right, right. So, so there's odds and probabilities. And so I would say the safest place is to be out of anything that you don't of know anything, anything that about. Is- that's some risk, yes. Right, exactly. That's the, probably the safest place outside Absolutely. of bonds. Absolutely. Buy, buy some bonds and let the yields go up because they're going to go up soon. Like, uh, in a, like if, if you're going to buy anything, buy bonds maybe. But if, aside from that, if you want to make some real money, plug into a system, and I believe in a currency system. Options trading is another option, you know, another way as well. Options trading kind of functions similar from a leverage standpoint to the stock, I mean, to the currency market. But I would just say that either get with somebody who knows what they're doing or just get out and let it let it come back, you know, because it's going to be nasty. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so, um, if somebody would like to reach you out, sure. How can they reach you out? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, the best place to go is to our website, um, fmtrades.com. FM like a radio station. Trades with an S. dot com. Uh, and we, when you go to that site, um, you'll have basically two options. We have the DIY option, which is for people who want to learn to do what I do for themselves, um, self-starters. And then we have what's called the DFY option, which was born from when we were teaching people how to trade and we had a lot of highly compensated professionals, business owners were asking, well, this is cool, I love it, it makes sense. You almost kind of sold me on it just by teaching me about it. And then they said, okay, so how much would it cost for you to do it for me instead? You know, And so we have the DFY option and you click that button, which is called done for you trading, where you actually still get the course on learning how to trade, which is an online step-by-step course, self-paced. Um, and But we also, in addition to that, will trade one account on your behalf to build cash flow for you. And so that's and so fmtrades.com, you can go there and you can find out more about Great. us. Great. Phone number, email address? Um, yeah, email address, go um, support, um, S-U-P-P-O-R-T at fm, 
Foxtrot Mike Trades with an S dot com. Support at fmtrades.com. Uh, and you can shoot us an email and we'll get back to you. All right. Well, Gavin Jefferson. Yes, sir. The, the guru of the currency trading. <laughs> trading, I, yes. I will call that. I will, All right. I will, I will the accept guru, that. The, I, the currency trading guru. I, I, will, I, will, I, will, I will accept that. You know All what? Right. I've learned to accept okay. my greatness. And okay. uh, well, I'm with that. Thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Victor. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks very much. All right. So now let's see what's going on in uh, Frisco. There is some more love in Frisco. Comerica Bank is opening a business and innovation hub in Frisco in 2023. According to the article by Virginia Ignorance, the construction will begin in late 2022 and open in late 2023 or early 2024. According to the article, this represents a significant investment in Comerica's strategic vision, said Megan Crispy, Executive Vice President and Chief uh, Enterprise Technology and Operations Service Officer in an official statement. Expecting our corporate headquarters uh, footprint to one of the most uh, desirable locations for business and innovation in the U.S. is positioning our bank for future success. Megan's continue. Frisco is known for cultivating an exceptional environment for businesses to thrive, said Brian Foley, Co-America's Texas market president. The hub's on-site amenities and a prominent location will help to support our company's vision for future growth, including our ability to attract and retain top talent. The article continues. Comerica will also come with job opportunities for the area. The new build, uh, building is expected to house about 300 workers from various teams, including technology and product management, to frontline business units. It will feature learning and interview centers at the new home resources office. In addition, the company hopes the Star Mixed Use uh, Campus will provide colleagues with enter uh, entertainment, sports, retail, residential and educational opportunities to enhance workers' experience and help attract new talent. Comerica Bank is another duo in Frisco Crown, so contact Globus Realty and Mr. Frisco to find your ideal Frisco home. Don't miss your opportunity to find the lifestyle you deserve. 